Have you heard about the 2018 study that showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? No? Well, now you have. I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual, the company making traceability the new standard in the supplement industry. I remember staring at my prenatal vitamins and finding all these things I was trying to avoid. High amounts of heavy metals, synthetic colorants, and unnecessary ingredients. So, at four months pregnant, I quit my job and started Ritual, because I believe that all women deserve to know what they're putting in their bodies and why. I'm so proud of our prenatal vitamin. The ingredients are 100% traceable, it's third-party tested for microbes and heavy metals, and recently received the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. You see, we trace like a mother because, let's be honest, no one cares quite like a mother. But don't just take my word for it. Trace for yourself with 25% off at ritual.com slash prenatal. Welcome back to Feminist Book Club, the podcast. We're not just about feminist books. We are here for social justice, literature, and media in all its forms. But we do that through an intersectional feminist lens. Thanks for being here. Let's get started. Hello, friends, and welcome to this segment of Feminist Book Club, the podcast. My name is Ra, and my pronouns are they, them. And today, I am just here for a low-key, easy chat about some graphic novels that I am stoked about that are being born to this world this 2024. Graphic novels have always just been an easy go-to when I'm not sure what to read next. Sometimes, my imagination doesn't function as well as I would like, so the artwork comes in handy to transport me directly into the pages and into the story. If you're not a graphic novel reader, but have been considering trying it out, tune in. I have a few suggestions that might come in handy. Let's start with Freshman Year by Sarah Mai. The title's fairly self-explanatory if you didn't catch it. Freshman Year is based on Sarah's experience moving from everything she knew back in suburban Wisconsin to her first year of college in Minnesota. When Sarah first moves into her dorm, she is faced with so many questions. We find her going to parties, making new friends, and figuring out all the possibilities that are in front of her that make her into the cartoonist that she is now. Sarah's experiences are just relatable as she laughs through her anxiety, like, same girl. Her style and her humor is fitting for so many age ranges, whether you're an adult reflecting on your first year after you graduated high school or a 17-year-old about to embark on your own journey into adulthood. This was the only graphic novel that I have been able to see and hold physically, and I just adore these types of pages. They're shiny and they're thick, and they give that satisfying feeling with every page turned. So, yeah. Freshman year is perfect for readers of Heartstopper and those who are looking for a oh-the-places-you-will-go sort of vibe, but a little bit more grown up. And it's already available. It came out earlier this February, so check it out from your local library or pick it up from your local bookstore. Up next, I have a graphic novel that requires a few content warnings. Tender by Beth Hetland is not for the faint of heart when it comes to some of the images and storyline, but it is one that has lived in my head rent-free for the past few weeks. Tender follows Carol Ann, who is performing all the roles the best she can and working towards that quote-unquote perfect life that we are all told about when we were little kids. Or at least like I was told about this perfect life. So think like perfect friends, spouse, kids, and you know, you got that house. Until one day her body, quote unquote, betrays her and she goes through a terrible loss of a child. Then Carol Ann throws herself in a delusion and produces hysterical pregnancy symptoms. And you know, 
this is where it gets really tough. In order to find some sort of stability, Carol Ann begins to exert control and dominance over her own body. And like I said earlier, this is not for the faint of heart. Content warnings include body horror, body horror in all capital letters, self-harm, mental illness, infertility, and body shaming. I knew the moment I got to the end of the story, it would just embed itself into my head for a very long time. Like I sat on my couch for a solid three minutes with my mouth wide open while I finished the graphic novel. So, you know, if that's your kind of thing, Tender by Beth Hatland, it shelves on March 12th. Now, if horror isn't your thing, how about Full of Myself by Siobhan Gallagher? Let me just start by saying that the artwork in here feels like a warm little hug. All the pinks and purples and the illustrations just make me feel soft. Full of Myself is Siobhan's graphic memoir, and it takes us from her being an anxious and self-conscious kid to an adult that grows to love herself. Yay! Um, You know, those of us who grew up in the 90s and early 2000s know that the havoc that diet culture and the media played on our bodies, like I clearly remember all the tabloid articles that would point out like, what's hot, what's not, and what constitute as the perfect woman. (laughs) It's all bullshit. Um, Yeah, so it's hard to describe how I felt seen in Siobhan's pages, and I know Anyone who reads this can most likely find a familiar thread in this story. Plus, it'll make you giggle. So why not go on a journey of self-love and acceptance with Full of Myself? Uh, This graphic novel will hit shelves on April 2nd. And I have one more for you, but I'm going to keep this one brief. Mothballs by Sole Otero, translated by Andrea Rosenberg, takes place in 2001 Buenos Aires. Uh, This graphic novel story is hauntingly beautiful, and I can't wait to finish it. (laughs) Dang it. Uh, Mothballs follows Ro as she moves into her recently passed away grandmother's house and begins to unveil a hushed history of trauma that her grandmother endured as she immigrated from Argentina from Italy's fascist regime. So the way that this graphic novel moves between like the past and the present is just seamless and has a flow that allows you to follow the story with Ro as she pieces it all together. I have a feeling this one's going to be one of my favorites of 2024, and I'm sad that I can't finish it because my electronic review copy doesn't have all the pages, which is totally fine. (laughs) So you can count on me pre-ordering this uh, while I wait for it to come out on August 13th. This graphic memoir also comes with some trigger warnings, including homophobia, sexual violence, and assault. And there we have it, friends. Four graphic novels I'm reading this 2024. You can find all of these titles listed in the show notes so you can pre-order them. And if you have uh, any graphic novels that you're excited for, please tell me about them. You can always let me know over on Instagram at Your Feminist Book Club or on TikTok at Feminist Book Club. And all those links are going to be in the show notes. My personal handles will be in the show notes. Just... I want to hear from you. Okay. Well, thank you so much for listening, friends, and happy reading. If you've been around for a while in the feminist book club world, you probably know how much we love Scorched Grace by Margot Duahi. 
Well, our favorite nun is back with the second installment in the Sister Holiday mystery series, Blessed Water. So are you a fan of mysteries? Okay, what about queer mysteries? With a punk rock, foul-mouthed, chain-smoking, tattooed nun with a gold tooth and a heart of gold as the detective. The kind with exquisite pacing that you can really just devour in one sitting. In Blessed Water, Sister Holiday teams up with former fire inspector Magnolia Riveau as they discover the body of a priest in the Mississippi River in New Orleans. You can feel the clock tick as the story unfolds in three suspenseful acts, Good Friday, Holy Saturday, and Easter Sunday. And like us at Feminist Book Club, Sister Holiday despises sexism, white supremacy, homophobia, and institutional corruption, and she takes them on headfirst. She's a character who embraces her contradictions and sees her faith as one and the same as her queerness. Author Margot Duahi is also passionate about the reparative potential of crime fiction. Blessed Water is her queer alternative to copaganda that permeates this genre, and a healing balm to anyone who has been harmed by institutions like the Catholic Church. Blessed Water is out March 12, 2024 from Gillian Flynn Books, an imprint of Zando Projects. Yeah, that's right. Gillian Flynn, the author of Gone Girl, put her stamp of approval on this queer nun mystery series, and we are so glad she did. Did we also mention Mara Wilson narrates the audiobook? Yeah, Mara Wilson of Matilda fame. We're smitten. Fall in love <laughs> with this delightfully weird, deliciously gay, and devoutly righteous book series. Thanks to Margo Duahi for sponsoring this episode. Hey everyone, Renee here, and today I want to tell you a little bit about the Black feminists who helped me unlearn my white feminism. This is in honor of Black History Month and prepping for Women's History Month. I think it's important to highlight Black women uh, around this time of year, and always, of course. So I started researching and um, getting involved in feminist theory and feminist organizing when I was in college. I was a women's studies major, so of course I read a lot of the classics. And here I'm thinking of Bell Hooks and Audre Lorde. I remember being assigned Zami, A New Spelling of My Name by Audre Lorde, which is a biomythological memoir. Um, it is a memoir that takes some artistic liberties, and it was unlike anything I had ever read, read before. Audre Lorde talks about being a young, queer, Black woman in New York, coming of age, and I don't think that I understood it when I was 20 years old. It was challenging, and it's one of those books that took me years to digest, and I still have it on my bookshelf, the exact copy that I read in college. Um, it's one of the few textbooks that I never got rid of. Similarly, I read a lot of Bell Hooks in undergrad. I'm thinking particularly Ain't I a Woman, which is one of her first books, if not her very first book, written in the early 80s and talks about intersectionality before Kimberly Crenshaw coined the term intersectionality. Talks about being both Black and a woman and kind of the double marginalization that occurs when you have multiple marginalized identities. And as someone who grew up in a fairly white bubble, this was really eye-opening to me. But again, at 20 years old, I don't think I was ready to digest it. I could understand it, but I couldn't feel it quite yet. It wasn't really until I was in my PhD program and I took a class with Dr. Barbara Ransby at 
University of Illinois at Chicago. Dr. Ransby is well-established, well-respected, and a key modern thinker and writer in the modern Black feminist movement. And uh, I was so lucky. I don't think I realized how lucky I was to be sitting in a classroom with her twice a week for a semester. I took a women's studies class, a gender studies class with her. I was a, a gender studies minor in grad school, essentially. She introduced me to abolitionist feminism and, in fact, brought in Beth Ritchie, who is one of the co-authors of Abolition Feminism Now, which is one of our go-to books and recommendations here at Feminist Book Club. Dr. Ritchie is also a professor at UIC, where I was in my PhD program, and I learned so much from these two women alone. And um, I really think that my unlearning of white feminism started in that classroom. Dr. Ransby is unafraid to challenge students' thinking, particularly white students' thinking. And I really respect that and um, felt challenged in a, a great way. I just kind of felt my assumptions start to shatter. And uh I'm not going back. So thank you, Dr. Ransby, for that. Um, she really lives the values of Bell Hooks and Audre Lorde and Kimberly Crenshaw and a lot of the early black feminists who gave us the language that we use now in intersectional feminism. Um, so that set me on a bit of a journey into craving more of this. And in that program, I also read more of Audre Lorde and I am so grateful for the phrase, the master's tools will never dismantle the master's house. I think it speaks to the necessity of working outside a system in order to make change. And I think that's, I think we could probably attribute Feminist Book Club's tagline that we're here to fuck up systems of oppression. I think we can attribute that to that Audre Lorde writing. And then I read deeper into Bell Hooks in grad school as well. Um, feminist theory from the margin to the center, it really takes second wave white feminism to task. And the critique of second wave feminism is ongoing, necessary, and required for white feminists today to start to unpack all of the hurt and injury we have done to women of color within the movement. So building off of some of these figures. It, after I left grad school, I started reading on my own, and I want to share a few book recommendations that really helped me dive into either a particular part of feminism and white feminism, or a particular identity or aspect of black feminism. And I want to start with Morgan Jerkins. This will be my undoing. It is a collection of essays and was one of the first, if it might be the first, black millennial woman memoir I have ever read. And wow, that was eye-opening. It was one of our first Feminist Book Club picks, and I am so glad. It still has a prime spot on my bookshelf. I'm so glad we read it. I remember being deeply uncomfortable, um, and I think that a a good book should make you feel uncomfortable, should make you challenge some of the ways that you have approached your feminism. Can't speak highly enough of it. Her next book, she's had a couple of books out since then, um, and she's been on the podcast. I'll link her podcast episode. That was really a full circle moment for me was interviewing her. I think it was our 100th episode, and I was like, I want you for our 100th episode. 
It was just me fangirling. It's fine. Um, she's got a book about genealogy where she follows her own roots. And then she's got a, a fiction book called Call Baby, which I believe Natalia interviewed her for. So, you know, when we love somebody, we love somebody. And they've been on the podcast a couple of times. And we love Morgan Jerkins because she challenges us in uh, necessary ways. So This Will Be My Undoing by Morgan Jerkins absolutely changed the way that I think about my feminism. Obviously, we have to throw Roxanne Gay in here, right? Roxanne Gay is it, bad feminist, I think, was the eye opener <laughs> for so many white women. Um, I think that we could see ourselves in her bad feminism and then question the parts of us that are being called in in that book. I am so drawn to Roxanne Gay's candor. And she just doesn't pull any punches. And that's the writing that we need in the modern feminist movement. So if you haven't read that, uh, I have not read Opinions yet. That is her latest book. I am really looking forward to it, but I have not gotten to it yet. Um, And Hunger is her memoir, which is fantastic. And then the book of the month that we did choose is her collection of short stories. She is also a fiction writer, in case you didn't know. Um, Her collection of short stories is called Difficult Women and touches on a ton of feminist issues. Similar to Bad Feminist, I, I, we have to mention Hood Feminism by Mickey Kindle, a classic at this point, a modern classic. Again, much like Bell Hooks did with feminist theory from the margins to the center, Hood Feminism shines a light on issues within the feminist movement that have not gotten a lot of press yet. I think particularly about gun violence, and she makes an argument for gun violence being a feminist issue, but when... It's a black woman who's been killed through gun violence. It becomes a black issue, not a feminist issue. And I found that argument so appalling um, in a good way. I was appalled on the behalf of black women. (laughs) They don't need me to be appalled for them. Um, But the way that she makes that argument was really moving and really, really important. And yeah, I just think that's one of, that's a book that should be on every feminist bookshelf. I want to go back to what I said about abolitionist feminism and I learned of abolition feminism through Beth Ritchie, like I mentioned, and abolition feminism now obviously is the primer for this argument. Um, But if you wanted to level that up, I am deeply indebted to Miriam Kaba who wrote, we do this till we free us, which was a feminist book club book last summer or two summers ago. Um, And she was so generous to sit down with us and do a Q and a with our, community I didn't know what abolitionism really was until I read this book and it's one that I reference regularly now along those same lines if you want to learn a little bit about the restorative justice component of abolitionism unapologetic by Charlene Carruthers is also a go-to Uh, This is very much a black queer feminist mandate for the future, which I think might be the subtitle. It is really a toolkit for young intersectional feminist organizing and what it really means to center people of color in the movement or really just what it means to decenter whiteness. And I think that has been a question and a motivation for my own feminist work these days is how do I do center myself because no one needs to hear from another femme cis white woman (laughs) in this movement (laughs) 
we've had our time we've had our say we've said our words and our words have hurt people so let's like step aside and um really give credit where credit is is due and it's 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 women like Charlene Carruthers and Miriam Kaba I also think Koa Beck has done so much uh through her book White Feminism that's exactly what it is called. She's been on the podcast. I will link her interview. This is really a collection of all of the tendrils of white feminism and everything that we have fucked up. And while a lot of this book at this point, when I read it a couple of years ago, a lot of it was review, I I think so highly of it. And I think so highly of Koa Beck's work and the journalism that she does is really important. So a great follow uh, on social media. Um, I'm sure she has a Substack. I would say get on that, get on that list and do your work in unlearning white feminism with her alongside her. She will help you. A couple of other black feminists who have helped, as the kids say, changed my brain chemistry. Adrian Marie Brown. I, I how can I not mention emergent strategy? This is one of those. Mm, one of those business books that's not really a business book, but I've applied it to business. <laughs> but it really is about organizing and how to feel one's way through conflict and create something, co-create something with a group of people in a way that feels productive, but also feels aligned and heart-centered and letting it kind of create itself, um, going with the flow, leaning on taking inspiration from nature in that way. I think this book could have benefited from a little bit more editing. However, the book as it is, is magnificent <laughs> and provides language for anybody in leadership, anybody who's a part of any kind of organization and gives you permission to kind of experiment. It's so well done. Similarly, Do Better by Rachel Ricketts, also a podcast guest. I deeply am grateful for this book. The subtitle for this book is something like, something to do with activism and spirituality. And she's really, her audience for this book is really like spiritual white women. And excuse me, I believe that Rachel uses they, them pronouns. I apologize. I believe Rachel's audience for this book is white spiritual white women and I don't disagree, but even if you are not in the spiritual space, if you're not a yogi or um, someone who has a crystal collection or someone who cleanses your chakras, <laughs> even if you're not someone who borrows spiritual practices from other people, from other religions or cultures. I think there is so much to take away from this book, especially when it comes to unlearning white feminism. And again, recentering the voices of people of color, like Rachel. It's fantastic. And finally, a book that I go back to over and over again. I think I have said before that this is a book that I will be reading cover to cover in perpetuity. <laughs> And that's Rest is Resistance by Trisha Hersey. And I actually have, I'm staring at the Rest deck, which is a deck of cards that is uh, inspired by the author's work. I keep it on my desk. If I ever need like uh, a breather, <laughs> I pull one of these cards. And this is an argument for rest as a political apparatus to 
disrupt capitalism and our participation as cogs in the machine of capitalism. We, this is the air we breathe. We are so inundated with productivity as worth. And Rusty's resistance is step one to detangle that narrative that so many of us have come to embody. We have just absorbed it hook, line, and sinker. So I uh, can't speak highly enough of this book. So if you were to build your intersectional feminist bookshelf, I would say start with these books, unlearn your white feminism, and get uncomfortable. Let yourself be really uncomfortable reading these and and don't take it personally just because you might be a white woman listening to this. You might be a white woman who feels a little attacked. Um, a, you're not being attacked. B, let that be uncomfortable and learn from it. Learn and grow from it. Accept it and hold yourself accountable to doing right in the future. Those are my two cents. I have nothing but gratitude for all of these folks who wrote these books. And I hope that you are on your journey to creating a more intersectional feminism within your own life. Have a wonderful day. We'll see you next time. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of Feminist Book Club, the podcast. Want to be part of the club? Here's how you can join us. Obviously, subscribe to our podcast and leave a rating and review for brownie points. Follow along on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Pinterest, and TikTok. All of those links are in the show notes. Sign up for our newsletter to be the first to know what our next monthly book pick is. And check out our award-winning monthly book subscription service. Oprah Magazine named it one of their favorite book boxes, and Shonda Rhimes called us one of her favorite subscription boxes in general. There are multiple membership levels for any budget, and it's an excellent way to support the show and the voices you heard today. See you in the club. A well-read woman is a dead-